Beamer Tire and Auto Repair, now with three locations across the triad in High Point, Greensboro, and our new location in Kernersville. Beamer Tire and Auto offers full-service auto repair, all tire brands, free alignment checks, oil changes, and more. In Kernersville, check out the no-appointment-needed Quick Lube Shop. Check out their thousands of five-star ratings via Google and Yelp. They care because they know that you can go anywhere. So try a shop with a beating heart, not a bottom line. Beamer Tire and Auto Repair. Visit us on Facebook or at BeamerTire.com. In professional sports, a franchise player is an athlete who is not simply the best player on their team, but one that the team can build their franchise around for the foreseeable future. Welcome back to a brand new edition of Franchise Players. I am your host, Desmond Johnson. Follow us on Tobacco Radio, well, excuse me, at Tobacco Radio on Twitter, or pound that like button on Facebook. Just search Tobacco Radio or Tobacco Road Sports Radio on Facebook to find the page. You can get to podcasts, live sporting events here in the triad, and much, much more. Uh, joining me right now, he is a member of the Barrett Sports Media uh, Dimitri Ravanos, we've crossed paths numerous times uh, mm-hmm. in this industry, man. What's going on, brother? It's been a long time since I got a chance it, to talk to you. It has been a long time. I think the last time you and I did a show together, we were talking about like the 2018 ACC tournament, I believe. I think so. Actually, I think you're right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, yeah, so it's been a, a lot. The world has changed a lot. The, since, uh, <laughs> absolutely. So, so much has changed, uh, not just in the world in general, but in the sports and media world. So I'm, I'm happy to uh, to get the chance to jump on with you here. So I knew I wanted to talk to you because uh, earlier this week, um, you published an article uh, for your outlet over at Barrett Sports Media. And shout out to you guys over there. You guys do quality work uh, for, for the industry here. I really, really uh, respect everything you guys are doing over there. You wrote an article called No One Wants to Work or No One Wants to Work for You. And it basically... Uh, I told you off camera or off the mic that it, it felt like you reached into my soul and pulled out <laughs> <laughs> the year of 2019. A lot of people that listen to franchise players or tobacco uh, radio, they understand how tobacco radio got its start um, and, and what kind of the, the path that led to that way uh, for where we are today. Uh, first off, the, the, the article is about the sports radio industry and what's going on within it. And I'm happy that we have a platform where we can actually bring this out and talk about this in this format. Mm-hmm. Cause I don't know if we could really do this on regular terrestrial radio, uh, the way it's currently constructed without both of us probably losing jobs. But <laughs> <laughs> well, my first question to you was what was the inspiration or the spark for you to decide to even write, uh, this current piece that you have up right now, uh, at Barrett sportsmedia.com. Yeah, honestly, it was seeing all of these stories uh, about, uh, oh, you know, daring fast food franchisee posts a (laughs) sign that says can't find employees. No one wants to work anymore. And I mean, look, I I will own this. I don't care if people know my politics. I am super liberal uh, about these things. And I loathe this blame the workforce. Me too. Attitude. I I mean, I, I loathe it in everyday life. I loathe it in sports. Uh, I do a podcast called a college football podcast with my buddy Arky Shea, who we were talking this week about the kid at um, the kid in the state of Texas that decided to opt out of his senior year of high school to get ready for college. Oh yeah, and, yeah, 
Yeah, and I, I was saying, like, I think this is great. Like, you prepare yourself for the thing that counts, not friggin' high school football. And he got so mad at me for always being so individualistic and pro player and pro, uh, you know, workforce or whatever. But that's just the way I'm wired. So those stories were just driving me insane because the idea that nobody wants to work anymore being solely about this extra $300 benefit from the government and not about the fact that like, look, I'm 40. I think you're right around my age. Like, yeah, I'm people, okay. Yeah. People, our age, our age, not just the younger end of the uh, millennial generation, but people, our age are working two and three jobs just to keep their heads above water because $8 an hour is like a buku killing in mm-hmm. the part-time world, right? Yep. So I thought, you know, with our outlet, I can't just write about the way the American worker is treated. I got to bring it back to sports radio. And and I want to be honest, like, I'm not here to take a dump on radio. I, I love this business. And I think it is a really great platform to work in. The, the problem is that so much of the industry is either owned by big corporations or owned by people that have no business owning, particularly a talk radio station, whether it's news or or sports, because those are really expensive ventures. Mm -hmm. And they only think about the initial investment and not the payoff if you do things right. And, And so a lot of corners get cut. Yeah, I, I coming from personal experience, I, I, I've seen it firsthand where a lot of things that you would think would be just natural for a radio station to have mm-hmm. uh, kind of fall to the wayside. And um, people had heard my stories about, you know, keeping things up with Band-Aids and things of that sort. Yeah. Uh, I, I saw one of the things that stood out to me in this article, uh, Dimitri Ravenous from uh, Barrett Sports Media on the line with us here on Franchise Players. You mentioned that there's a whole lot of young people that want to work in sports media, but mm-hmm. that radio stations aren't actively recruiting them. Um, I've I've noticed that here at uh, Tobacco Road, where we've got guys fresh out of college like Brett Wiseman or James Wilson, who are you know doing multiple shows or doing live things for me, uh, and 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 they're they show a passion for the sport. But I also knew when I brought them on board that it was going to be really really hard for them to crack into the the actual. Uh, terrestrial radio network of, of sports stations mm-hmm. uh, that are out there just because of their age and not having the experience. And just, it's almost like you got to know somebody to get in, to be able to do something uh, in that world to begin with. Why do you think that radio stations aren't actively recruiting young guys coming or girls coming out of uh, colleges right now? Well, let, let me let me answer that in two ways. First of all, I think that stations in much larger markets are doing a really good job of this. I think, you know, we have a writer named Rob Taylor. He's based out of Pittsburgh um, that did the first story he did for us was about what these broadcast schools, you know, think about the places like the Connecticut School of Broadcasting and and. Um, oh, I mean, you know, any any of those for profit broadcast schools, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he did a story about what those uh, deans and professors are seen from their students, and all their students want to be involved in the sports media. They just don't even think about sports radio as a possibility. Um, so or as a as a realistic career path, and I think part of it is to your point, you have to know somebody. Yeah, I mean, that that might be part of it. I also think it really sort of mirrors college football coaching a little bit where you think about these GA positions or these, you know, uh, assistant tight ends coach kind of positions where you have to be able to 
either lean on family money or being able to live with your parents to even get into the business. And I think that's a that's a big part of it, right? Like for so long, radio has not done a good job of selling the reality of is the format dying? No, not really. But the perception of the format dying has nothing to do with sports. Like it, all of radio could go away tomorrow. Local sports radio will still matter. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and so, you know, you have this generation of kids up to, you know, 25, maybe even 30 years old that only view radio as it is archaic. It's going away. It's this, it's that, it's whatever. And just as an industry, we haven't done a very good job of a making come to work for us feel like it has a future. Yeah, no, I think that's that's probably it. We haven't done a very good job of making it feel like radio has a future for these people. And I, I, that's actually you kind of nailed it in terms of when I made the decision to start Tobacco Road. Uh, we launched Labor Day weekend of 2020 mm. uh, in the middle of a pandemic that had basically sure. wiped out all of sports. So <laughs> it was like, hey, why not start a sports radio network? Right. Um, one of the things that had come aboard, I'd had a, a couple of guys I was using kind of as advisors that were kind of in the field or guys are in the tech world and just bouncing ideas off of them. What do you think of this? What do you think of that? And ultimately we kind of landed on not bothering with terrestrial radio because mm -hmm. from my, my travels through uh, not just sports radio, but uh, urban contemporary and other type of uh, genres, it felt like those radio stations were trying to make a push to get on your hip anyway. Like they were right. trying to figure out a way to get on your phone as opposed to, you know, going backwards. So to us, it felt like, well, eventually there'll be content that we will put out on terrestrial radio stations and that stuff's starting to happen now. But the core of it was going to be digitally like online where we felt like the, the audience we wanted to attract, which would be the younger uh, listeners, the kids that are in high school playing baseball or the kids that are in high school playing football and they don't get the shine from the local uh, sports talk uh, radio outlets. That's kind of what our, 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 our thought process was in terms of what we were building. Now I will admit Dimitri that, uh, my previous stop, and we won't mention any names or call letters or anything like that, so we can protect the, uh, well, I don't want to call them innocent, <laughs> but so we can protect those uh, that aren't involved here. But uh, I will admit my previous stop at a local tried sports radio station kind of soured me onto latching onto another uh, radio outlet after I had parted ways with them in late 2019. Did you ever have like a awakening moment uh, where you were able to kind of see the industry and where it was going? Can you think of a time where something maybe happened to you and you were like, you know what, maybe this isn't exactly what I thought it was going to be, uh, you know, when I hopped in it young and, uh, you know, free and ready to kind of take the world by storm. What, what was there a moment or something that happened to you that I, I, made you I do don't, that? I don't know that there was a specific moment um, that that same company you are uh, not naming. I worked for up in Raleigh and uh, <laughs> after <laughs> what's the best way to say this after they fired me from the rock station, a few months later, they turned around and hired me to do news talk. Right. And I had a producer that remains one of my best friends to this day. We, we, um, yeah, we just did a, a goofy show, right? We approached it from this angle of not we're going to be, you know, the the crazy liberal version of Rush Limbaugh. We're going to be the ones that like recognize that this is all dumb. That this mm -hmm. is all, you know, like we don't have the answers to anything. So we are just going to have fun. Like to give you an example, we had John McCain on and I asked him if he thought he could win a gold medal in fencing if I gave him a year to train. <laughs> uh, that's, that's the kind of show we were. Uh, and... And I remember sort of being told, you know, when I was telling the program director that it's it's really it's a huge difference 
prepping for a rock show versus a a talk show where you don't have the ability to lean on music if you are light on content or opinion or whatever. Right. Um, and his suggestion was, well, go listen to, to Rush Limbaugh for show prep. And it's not, it wasn't even about like just the polar opposite political opinion. It was about like, that's your idea. Like mm-hmm. that's, and this was a dude at the top of the, of the talk formats at that, uh, at that, um, at that company. And so that was sort of a moment of like, you know, there are some really smart people uh, at the top at stations in this business, but that doesn't mean every station has someone smart at the top. Um, and, you know, if if the industry and companies in, I guess at large, really, are not putting an emphasis on how do you appeal to guys my age? I mean, I was 30 when I was doing, I just turned 30 when I yeah. started doing that talk show. And, you know, there was this real attitude of, oh, oh, never tell anyone your age. We don't want people to dismiss yeah, uh, yeah. what it is you do. And, uh, you know, my attitude to that was, and by the way, I bring that up because I was on the air for, um, is it the 10th anniversary of September 11th? Yeah, I guess it was. And it's like, how do you not give your age away if you're talking about where you were? I was a junior in college. Like, I yeah. think people <laughs> can do the math of what my age was, right? Uh, so, you know, it was... It was just this weird, I guess I had the realization that there really is kind of no such thing as industry standard in radio. Everything is by the whims of the people at the top of your particular company or your particular building. And that means that some really good people are going to be stuck in really crappy situations. Yeah, I kind of... For I mean, for me, I think the moment actually was uh, the day they let me go. Um, Mm -hmm. Even though I, I kind of knew in advance it was gonna go down, uh, it was something about the way I was kind of dismissed. Where it was like, yeah. it almost felt like they didn't understand what I was doing to keep the station afloat for the past mm-hmm. two plus years. They only saw uh, one of the four or five different roles that I was doing. There was a day where the owner of that uh, that entire company came into town. Uh, basically to cuss out the GM <laughs> at the time for about three <laughs> hours straight. We could hear it down the hallway. And uh, I'm sitting there thinking, well, I assume these could, eventually they're going to introduce themselves to me. I'm literally at that time, I was the programming manager. I was a producer. I was an on-air talent. I was doing marketing for the entire station. And I was basically the de facto engineer. They didn't have an engineer yeah. <laughs> for the station. So I'm back there unplugging things and plugging things back up and shining flashlights or whatever. So I'm thinking eventually this guy's going to come by, introduce himself, or I'll have an opportunity to introduce myself to him. And, you know, it, it was a, it was an interaction that never happened. And it was almost like he didn't care. Like he just mm-hmm. kind of walked past the studio. It was almost like it, it was, it was, it was minute to him th- to even do that. So I think that day. And then the day when I actually walked out and realized, wow, I just, I just did all this stuff for this station for two years and worked, you know, 50 plus hours, worked yeah. seven days a week, was getting up on Sunday mornings to make sure church programming's going on remotely. And, uh, you're basically kind of giving up a large portion of your life to kind of keep it going and to get tossed out. It was almost like it wasn't sad. It was more of a awakening moment for me where I'm like, you know what? I just did all this stuff that I would have hire four people for if I did it myself. I just did this for two years. Yeah. Let's just go do it on our own. And that's kind of what happened. 
I mean, you know, one thing, so when I got fired from the rock station, uh, at the time I was really close with David Cutcliffe, the, uh, the coach at Duke the football coach at Duke. And he sent me an email that just said, Hey, remember radio is only what you do. It's not who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a, um, I had a, an uncle, uh, who for years had been telling me, uh, that, you know, don't fall in love with something that can't love you back. And I think that was sort of the, um, I don't know. I think, I think those two things, it's, it's what I do, not who I am and don't fall in love with something that can't love you back has sort of helped me reframe what the industry is. Now, don't get me wrong. I can't imagine doing anything else. I I really can't. I, I tried going into the hospitality industry and I was miserable. I mean, I've never been more depressed. Once it's in your blood, man, I've heard it every stop I've been once radio is in your blood. It's almost impossible to get it out. Uh, Absolutely. And and I think that if you really love it, you start to see the joy in other sides of the business. Like at this point in my career, I kind of don't want to be on air anymore. Um, I still want to work in radio, but I don't really, I don't get the same joy from putting together uh, you know, uh, say whatever, you know, whatever it is you want a a hot take on how bad the Celtics are. It's a lot Uh, of work. Yeah. I mean, I don't get the same joy from that as I do from strategizing an overall plan for the station. Right. Mm. So I think the more you, you love this, the more you see all the opportunities involved. I just don't think that the business is doing a good enough job of loving its people back. Dimitri Ravenous on the line with us right here on Franchise Players from Barrett Sports Media. Go check out his article. Uh, I believe it's still on the front page. It's titled, No One Wants to Work or No One Wants to Work for You. And it's kind of a an in-depth look uh, from an insider on what's going on in the sports radio industry right now. That I think a lot of people aren't really aware of. Uh, but if they sit down and think about it, they would understand it. Um, that local uh, joint here in the triad probably about 22, 21 hours of it is not even local. It's actually right. uh, Fox Sports being piped in, syndicated. So they're not really touching on the local stuff here in the area. Uh, I did want to touch on this before I let you go, though, because when I listen to local sports talk, whenever it's produced here locally, mm-hmm. it's loaded with a lot of filler. Like Now, granted, I, I understand we just went through a pandemic. There was a large yeah. stretch where we didn't even have sports. Uh, and now that sports are back, it almost feels like that filler didn't fall off. It's still kind of wedged in there. Um, these convos typically have zero to do with sports talk. Yeah. It feels like no one's evaluating the shows nowadays. Uh, and it's not just one or two. It's a lot of them that are locally produced where there's, it, it almost feels like there's no one overseeing the overall content of what's going on. What advice would you give a sports radio station spinning its wheels right now? that might be in a situation like that. Like you described where there's maybe three or four people in the building. You've yeah. got like one day part guy in there, producer, probably someone doing imaging, um, and they're kind of just kind of going through the motions, but maybe they don't realize they're going through the motions. What, what kind of advice would you give a station like that? Uh, I think the biggest one is if you are not having fun, your listeners are not having fun. Um, I would say that, you know, if you feel like you have to have the answer to every question your listener might have, you're doing it wrong. Uh, you know, I, I think you and I differ a little bit. I don't think the what you call filler conversation is filler conversation. I think it is the way we realistically talk about sports now. Like it's it's never just about the game anymore. If you are watching a game and think about it, even if you're watching a game at home 
by yourself? Are you completely locked in or are you watching the game and also checking out Twitter on your phone? Are you watching the game and also looking at, you know, whatever on your phone? I, I think that um, if you are the one local show on a station that has mostly national syndication, number one, you got to give your listeners a reason to choose you. Um, if you're just going to come in and give me LeBron hot takes and you're in, you know, just as an ex- example, excuse me, Greensboro, mm-hmm. um, you know, like I have no relationship with you the way I do with Greenberg, Max Kellerman, Clay Travis, Dan Patrick, Colin Cowherd, all these people. Yeah. You can't do for me what they do for me. So you better be really good on the local stuff and you better be creative. Like, I, I mean, I know that there is an older generation of sports talk listeners that really hate that we don't do a lot of X and O sports talk anymore. But you know why we don't do a lot of X and O sports talk anymore? Because overwhelmingly audiences have told us that is not what they're here for. Right. Yeah. It's more for, you know, analysis and things like that. I do. I do uh, think when I say filler, I don't mean like uh, you're talking about, you know, Aaron Rodgers maybe leaving Green Bay and then halfway through the segment, it kind of segues off to his Jeopardy mm-hmm. stint or something like that. I mean, like dedicating an entire segment to something that has nothing to do with sports talk radio, like 15 hard minutes of just something that is yeah. so irrelevant. <laughs> I mean, look, I, I understand your, uh, I, I understand your point of view, but you are talking to someone. I know you can see me with a Chewbacca <laughs> tattoo, uh, that has had multiple debates on what position you would put each kid from the save by the bell class ad on a basketball court. <laughs> you know, I, I think, I, I think there is room for that kind of stuff. I think that, you know, it's just a matter of, is that your image, right? Like, I don't know how much you know the the national sports talk radio scene, but like, if I turn on the musers who are the morning show on the ticket in Dallas or Petros and Money who do the afternoon show uh, at 570 in LA, like, yeah. I expect that kind of stuff from them. Yeah. Um, you know, and if they got two X and O, like, that wouldn't be the show I like. You know, that, that that's not the that's not the show that I come to them for. Uh, now, on the other hand, if Mike Greenberg starts talking about, um, you know, if, if he starts giving me an NBA fashion review as opposed to giving me in-depth breakdown of what happened on the court, well, that's not what I go to Greenberg for. Right. I think I think that's the thing. I think some, if it sounds awkward, then I don't think you yeah. should be doing Like, you shouldn't try to be someone you're not. And, yeah, and you and look, hit that earlier is- on. This is not a shot at this guy. You and I both know David Glenn. Could you imagine David Glenn breaking down the the best movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Oh, Absolutely no not. That's not <laughs> what he does, not right? Thing. Not what he does. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like that would sound so out of place to me. But if you have established a brand of, hey, we're going, you know, we, we, the way I always tell it to to our clients is live in the sports world, but don't be afraid to travel. Um, and you know, the other thing that I say, and I would say this to anybody thinking about radio, podcasting, TV, whatever, you know, I came up being taught in personality radio, your segments have to do one of the three E's entertain, enlighten, or educate. And when I talk to our clients now, I say it has to do one of the three E's, but let's be honest, two of them don't count. Like all it has to be is entertaining, right? If it's not entertaining, I don't care what it can teach me. Um, so, you know, lean in my, my advice to anybody, whether you are on a station that is local from 6am to 10pm, or whether you do one local hour all day long is what makes you the most entertaining lean into it. 
There you have it. Follow uh, follow Dimitri on Twitter at Dimitri Ravenos. Uh, go check out his work at BarrettSportsMedia.com. Uh, like I mentioned, his newest article, No One Wants to Work or No One Wants to Work for You, and then that looked into the sports or the local sports radio uh, industry as it sits today. Uh, I just want to, I want to correct one thing because my, my latest column is a tribute to Kenny Maine. And the only reason I'm correcting you is because – you know, I, I got input from Adam Schefter, from Mike Golick, from Mark nice. uh, Schlereth. I, I mean, when I sent out these texts and just said I'm doing something for Kenny, because, you know, we all have a dude on SportsCenter, and Kenny has always been mine. And when I sent this text out to people, like, as soon as they read the name Kenny Maine, all these people were ready to contribute that instant. So it, it's yeah. a really cool thing. And I do want people to check that out too. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm heading over there right now. Uh, I, I loved Kenny's uh, walk off uh, the other night <laughs> with him yeah, and Aaron Rodgers. That was perfect. It, uh, it for- was pretty good. He had a, he had a call of a Mariners home run that was really good too. That said, and that ball has entered the transfer portal. And so have I. <laughs> <laughs> Kenny Bates. Fantastic, man. Hey man, I appreciate you coming on. When we get closer to college football season, I definitely, need to start bringing you on uh, yeah, more absolutely. often so we can dissect it so we can get some of that uh that sec analysis <laughs> and, and, and and i'm thinking are, do you still got the shirt thing going on because i know you had the shirt stuff for a little while where you guys yeah, were doing the shirts what's what's the way to say this without getting sued um <laughs> we have a difference of opinion with a couple of sec schools about what we are allowed to use and what we gotcha. are not so we're sort of we're sort of treading water at the moment <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep everyone posted on that down the line right. <laughs> dimitri ravidos barrett sports media appreciate you man yeah, thank you, Des. <laughs> Coming up next, more from franchise players on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. In professional sports, a franchise player is an athlete who is not simply the best player on their team, but one that the team can build their franchise around for the foreseeable future. Welcome back to Franchise Players. I am your host, Desmond Johnson, joined by the Athletics' Brendan Marks. Uh, we didn't have a chance to really get together to go over some news and notes that happened uh, in the world of uh, Tobacco Road uh, ACC basketball, Carolina and Duke in particular. And whenever we want to get the lowdown on what's happening over there in Chapel Hill over or over in Durham, we bring our, brand, our man Brandon on. So, Brandon, what's going on, man? Welcome back to Franchise Players. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me again. It's uh, it's always a good time to come and chat. I, you know, I talk basketball all, all throughout the year, so I'm glad you guys like to too. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm I'm very very glad uh, and fortunate that you feel that way because uh, I think we're kind of fiending for uh for college basketball to get back now that we're seeing uh these NBA arenas starting to fill up with fans again. It's like it's almost like I forgot what it felt like to watch a basketball game with fans in it, like because right. it had been so long, and now you know just being immersed in the NBA playoffs and seeing you know, 14,000 people in Madison square garden. It's just like, Oh man, I can't wait for, uh, for college basketball to get back and things to truly get to normal. But I wanted to start off in Durham over at Duke. Uh, Duke announced last week that uh, Duke senior deputy director of athletics, Nina King would become the next athletic director when the current AD Kevin white retires in August, which he had, that's no surprise. He had been out there and said that he was retiring in August for a while. They they had not announced who was going to replace him until last week. Uh, Brendan, tell us a little bit about what you know about Nina King and why she's such a good fit for Duke and their athletic program in particular. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, first, let me just start off by saying that Kevin White is going to be sincerely, sincerely missed. He is mm-hmm. uh, truly one of the most well-respected, well-connected, just just generally, I would say, most influential 
administrators in college college athletics. So, so this is not a small job or a small hire in any way. Um, but really to me from the get go, Nina King made the most sense to eventually succeed Kevin White. And that's eventually what's come to pass because she's been here with Kevin White for, you know, since he arrived in Duke before that they worked together at Notre Dame and, and very simply, there's not much on Nina's resume that she hasn't done. You know, she has her law degree. Um, she has worked in, in athletics before. She uh, was a student manager when she was at Notre Dame. She worked at the swimming and diving teams. At Duke, she's been in charge of legal affairs, administrative affairs. She does uh, administrative stuff for the women's basketball program. I mean, she is all over the place. And on top of that, she even teaches a class with with Kevin White at the Fuqua School of Business, which is one of the oh, best wow. business schools in the country. So yeah. <laughs> she is, I mean, she is as qualified as they get. And even if all of that weren't enough, the number one thing that you can say about Nina King and whoever eventually was going to succeed Kevin White was going to have to meet this requirement of the job. This is very likely the person who's going to hire the replacements for Mike Krzyzewski and David Cutcliffe, um, who are two Duke legends in their own right. So Nina, having been in the program for so long, having worked directly with Kevin and, and so many of these other athletics teams directly for so long, I think that she understands the internal politics of of those hires, those jobs, uh, the influence they have in the Duke athletics program. She's obviously not going to hire coach K's successor on her own. He's going to have a, a huge impact on that, but, but she understands what it means to get those hires right. And based on what she hired, you know, who she hired and Carol Lawson for the women's program last year, you know, you can see that she has an understanding of who the right fit is. So I, I thought it was a slam dunk hire for Duke. I've heard nothing but good things about Nina. Um, and, and really this sort of, positions the blue devils to go into the next wave of college athletics and uh the next wave of duke athletics too yeah i do want to touch on that aspect of it because it does seem like that she's well equipped to kind of navigate uh duke through what we're starting to see uh in college basketball you did touch on this though uh there in that answer that i was really curious about with the hire do you think it changes in any way whether coach k will have a say in his eventual replacement because i mean the man is 75 we've talked about it on this program me and you a couple of times ever since uh really before roy retired and even after the fact that we know that we're closer to the end of his uh, coaching career than the beginning of it we just don't know when exactly that might be i think a lot of people just assumed uh it'd be the same situation that roy had in chapel hill where we all kind of know that roy kind of uh pushed for hubert to take that role and that weight was very heavy with Bubba Cunningham and the others at Chapel Hill, which I'm sure they did their due diligence, but it felt like Hubert was always going to be in the driver's seat for that role. Uh, mainly because of the, the, uh, the, what's the word I'm looking for here? The uh, approval of Roy Williams. Do you think that coach K is going to have that same approval now, now that Kevin White's not there and the relationship he had built with him over decades and he'll have to do this now with Nina, who I'm sure he knows, but couldn't possibly have the same kind of relationship that he did with white. Right. Yeah, it's, it's not the same relationship, but uh, to be honest with you, Des, if it was you or me or, or anyone else in the world uh, taking this job, it wouldn't make an impact on, it, it would not diminish the impact mm. that Coach Shea is going to have on, on who his successor is. I mean, and in comparing the Duke situation to the UNC situation with Roy Williams and Hubert Davis, I would argue that I think Coach K is actually going to have more influence. Um, and, and obviously, Roy Williams ended up getting the guy that he wanted in that chair. But 
I think Coach K, because it's a private institution, he has been there longer. Um, yeah, you know, we, we, we all think, you know, Roy Williams, Chapel Hill, we put those two pieces together. That's an even stronger tie for Duke and Coach K. The man's, the man's been there since 1980. So, yeah, yeah, he's uh, been like 40 years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's, he's going to get to pick whoever he wants. And is he going to? So, I, I think actually, in that respect, this sort of works out decently well for Nina King. Whoever is hired, everyone's going to know that it's K's guy. If it goes badly, the blame goes there. It's it's it was K's guy, whatever. I, I wouldn't expect that to happen, but that would be the logic. That would be the line of thinking. On the flip side, if it goes well, Nina King is still going to get the credit for it, even for it being K's guy. So it, it really is to me a win-win situation for her. Um, but no, I, I think Coach K is going to have you know not complete control, but uh, close to it over who eventually succeeds him. I, I, a little different situation with David Cutcliffe. I think he'll have input, but not as much. Um, but yeah, Coach K is basically going to get to, you know, mafia style, tap his guy and, and just see him get promoted. <laughs> follow, follow Brendan on Twitter at Brendan L. Marks. We've got the athletics. Brendan Marks here with us on Franchise Players. Uh, speaking of the, the new uh, Duke athletic director, Nina King, who will take over for Kevin White in August of this year. Uh, she is the first black female AD in school history. Uh, I didn't realize this. She's one of only six female athletic directors at the power five level, uh, three of which are African-American. Uh, she does seem from what I've read about her from your article and just kind of poking around, she does seem more receptive to the whole name image likeness stuff that's going on right now that in a way, the further away I get from it, I kind of feel like that that was the number one reason why Roy decided to leave. Now it feels like he just kind of saw what was coming on the horizon and didn't want any parts of it. Uh, I don't think Kay is a huge fan of it himself, but Nina seems to understand that there's not much they can do about this and that they need to grasp this at the very beginning and be at the forefront of it. Um, How do you think she's going to be able to, uh, lead Duke into this new era that we're entering in right now where uh, the, the NL, I mean, the NIL stuff will be uh, prominent and up front and center. Yeah. You know, I think the most, I don't know if shocking is the right word, but the most significant quote to come out of her introductory press conference was, you know, she said verbatim name, image, and likeness is good. <laughs> Change <laughs> is okay. It, that is something you would never hear from Kevin White, never hear from, you know, Coach K or, or Roy Williams or any of these guys. But Nina King is from a different generation of athletic directors. She is someone who understands the direction the sport is going. And let's be honest, name, image, and likeness is coming. It is inevitable. It is going to into effect as early as this year in a month and a half in July in certain states. Once that you know, boat gets pushed off the, off the dock. Once that's out to sail, it's out there. It's not coming back. It's not something you can re-put in the bottle. So rather than fight it, rather than stress over it, rather than antagonize over it, I mean, Kevin White, just last year, he and Bubba Cunningham, UNC's AD, they released sort of this joint statement slash letter combo where they said, we have serious concerns about the way that name, image, and likeness is going to be enacted. And I think that Nina King was very smart and that she said, yes, this is good. But we need guardrails. We don't know what those are yet. We need to figure those out. That, I think, is something everyone can get behind. But her willingness to embrace name, image, and likeness in the first place, her, her willingness to uh, push Duke to the forefront of, of what is going to be lucrative for universities, athletic programs, athletes, coaches, her willingness to do that is the sort of thing that, that gets her hired. It's the sort of thing that keeps Duke at the forefront of college athletics. Uh, And really, it's the sort of thing that I think across the board, you're going to start seeing a lot more as older generations of athletic directors 
and coaches, frankly, slowly start to get weighted out, replaced with younger generations who, who are more in touch with the player empowerment movement, more in touch with the idea that um, amateurism truly is a myth and, and is less of what uh, these guys who are currently in power were raised on. Let's go uh, eight miles up the road to Chapel Hill. Uh, last week, the Tar Heels, uh, they announced that former player Brandon Robinson uh, will be returning as a graduate assistant coach. Uh, it looks as if uh, new head coach Hubert Davis actually created this position specifically for Robinson. How did Robinson find his way back home to Chapel Hill, uh, Brendan? Yeah, the, you're exactly right, Des. This this is a position that Hubert Davis created for Brandon Robinson. And, uh, you know, I did a story on Brandon when he was a senior at UNC, and he told me, because his dad was a longtime high school coach in Georgia, he said, I've, I've always sort of had this itch, um, but I, I never really knew what it would be. And, and even when he was at UNC, there were times he considered transferring. And he would go into Roy Williams' office, and Roy Williams would say to him, Brandon, what do you want to do when you get older? You know, what do you actually want your career to be? And he said, I want to be a coach. And Roy said, you know, you're welcome to leave, son, but but this is the best place to be for you. And you look at all the connections in the Carolina basketball world that sort of extrapolate out to, you know, the, the basketball universe at large. Mm -hmm. And clearly that's come to pass. So uh, essentially what happened, the, the long story short, Brandon was supposed to have a number of international contracts to continue his playing career because of the pandemic. Those did not happen. Um, really unfortunate. But rather than, you know, sulk, do nothing, he continues working out actually starts doing some volunteer coaching with his former AAU team, the Georgia Stars. He ends up getting a call to go and play at the Final Four in, in ESPN's Big Three tournament. He goes and he plays. He plays decent, but while he's there, he is so focused on what was going on with these AAU kids he was volunteering with that he sort of realized in that moment, this is what I want to do. And when Hubert Davis heard that he was volunteering with these AAU kids, Hubert called and said, listen, Brandon, I'm not going to tell you your playing career is over, but if you are ready to make that sacrifice, I would love for you to come back and join us here for two seasons. So um, I think Brandon was willing to do that because he was able to, you know, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but he was able to stay connected to the sport. He's able to go back to the place where he was. Hubert Davis is one of the lead recruiters in getting him to UNC in the first place. So um, really sort of all the stars align. This is like a dream come true for him. And uh, for the next two seasons, Brandon Robinson is going to get to, you know, hopefully improve some of the Tar Heels shooting percentages like he did when he was actually playing there. Yeah, I saw that for a career, he's like a 37.5% three-point shooter. Hubert, I think, is still like top five all time and three-point percentage uh, in the NBA. So uh, from what Hubert's brought in, brought in a couple of stretch four type guys. Looks like Armando's coming back. Uh, I thought I saw a video of Armando shooting threes or something in a scrimmage a couple weeks ago. It seems like Hubert's kind of sprinkling a little bit of his own idea of what he wants the offense to evolve into uh, as they're you know doing these summer runs and stuff now. And, and my understanding is they're actually getting a chance to do that. They didn't get a chance to do that last year because of COVID. So the, uh, things are starting to slowly return back to normal in the triangle uh, with Duke and Carolina. I did uh, notice that you did, did uh, you did write an article on the Charlotte Hornets um, and they're uh, <laughs> I'm not really sure how to put it <laughs> in a positive manner, but uh, last week, their dismal end to the season, uh, they lost 144 to 117 to Indiana. And if you watch that game, it felt like it was much worse <laughs> than 144, right. 117. It felt like a YMCA game that got out of hand and there was just nothing you could do about it. Um, are you up or down on the Hornets going forward? And what's the one thing that this roster needs to add in the offseason in your mind? 
Yeah, I, I am still up on the Hornets, and, and you said it felt like a YMCA, get, YMCA game that got out of hand. 144 to 117, it felt like 144 to 17, period. It did. No, it really no did. <laughs> um, and, and, and obviously, that, that sort of sours things, but let's be honest. This is a team that is still purging itself, and, and finally, this offseason, we'll see the last remnants of some of those awful 2016-2017 era spending sprees finally come off the books. So this is a team that, you know, guys like uh, Cody Zeller, for instance, I I believe he was the last sort of major long-term contract this team still had to deal with. At this point, you have a bunch of young guys and a lot of potential. I think LaMelo Ball exceeded expectations. You know, health aside, he's the rookie of the year in my eyes. And he lo- he looks like a guy who's on the verge of superstardom. He really does. He looks like a guy who could potentially be the best player or the second best player on a title contender. And, and those are the sort of pieces the Hornets need. They're going to add another lottery pick by virtue of not making the playoffs, which is, you know, the sort of backhanded compliment that, that this team needs to take. Uh <laughs> And, and lastly, they finally have some cap space. So uh, you ask me, what's the number one thing this team needs? It's a center. It's a reliable center. It's a reliable big man who can stretch the floor while also offering rim protection. And, and importantly, someone who is not just a filler. Someone ideally that can grow with this team long term. And you look at Nick Richards and Vernon Carey, second round picks last year. Uh, there's potential there, but I don't know that either of those guys is a slam dunk answer. And and James Borrego cannot afford to go into another season with this many questions at center. So if, if it's me, I'm seeing what I can do with that cap space. I'm seeing what I can do, uh, potentially in the draft the Hornets are going to have the 11th or the 12th pick again. I feel like they're always there and I'd see what I can do there. And I'd go out and I'd get myself a big man who can work with a mellow ball and, and sort of allow those other those other stretch forwards, Miles Bridges, PJ Washington, let those guys play on the wings, on the perimeter, be inside outside threats, and not have to worry about playing those guys out of position. Yeah, I would agree. Center seems to be the uh actually it felt like Indiana was intentionally kind of punking them at that position that day yeah. where literally uh they were just I think it was Sabonis. He was just literally just living right there underneath the rim. And there was nothing they could do about it. I went to go look and see what free agents are available, though, and there's really not a lot of centers uh, that'll be uh, free agents coming into this offseason. The the biggest name I actually saw was Andre Drummond, who's currently playing for the Lakers, and he's only making like $700,000 the rest of this year. Um, but there's no telling if the Lakers are going to make an offer to keep him or if he's going to hit the open market. Um, I don't know if Drummond is it. Would you want them to go after someone like Drummond on like a four-year deal? Or, or are you content to kind of wait and see what happens with someone like Vernon Carey, who you actually covered, you know, over the course of a full season at Duke? Yeah, I, I think Drummond is is actually the wrong that that would be signing Drummond to a long term deal to me doesn't really fit this timeline at all. Right. Um, you know, I've seen a, a, my former colleague at the Observer, Rick Bunnell, who who covers the Hornets so well. I saw him mention Daniel Theis as a potential option. Um, I think if you're not getting someone who can, because because Drummond is not an outside threat whatsoever. You know, he's not a guy that offers you spacing. He clunks up the middle, and and on a team that has guys like Bridges and. Washington, who can cut to the basket so well. LaMelo is able to find them doing that. Having a guy just standing around the hoop really, really interflows with the pace of your offense. So to me, it's got to be more of a stretch guy than Drummond. I think that almost has to be a necessity. Um, I I think, you know, someone like a Thea Ice, who's more of a mid-level guy is, is a better idea. And then again, the 11th or 12th pick, 
there's going to be someone there. You know, maybe it is a, a Dayron Sharp out of North Carolina. I think he would be an interesting fit there with the way that he passes, the rim protection he offers. But th- there are a number of quality centers in this draft. So um, the position is devalued. Those guys are going to get pushed down the board. I think realistically in the draft, um, that that is the direction for the Hornets where you look and you say, okay, maybe we can get another piece to add to our long-term core. There you go. A little bit of news uh, from um, Chapel Hill, from Durham, and we even threw a little Hornet stuff in there for you there. Uh, Brendan Marks uh, from The Athletic, brilliant writer. Go follow his work there. Uh, you can see the latest whenever it does post if you follow him on Twitter at Brendan L. Marks. Brendan, we appreciate you, man. We'll definitely have you back again real soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Des. I'll talk to you. Coming up, more from Franchise Players here on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. In professional sports. A franchise player is an athlete who is not simply the best player on their team, but one that the team can build their franchise around for the foreseeable future. Welcome back to Franchise Players. I am your host, Desmond Johnson. I am joined by our NBA panel, uh, Brett Wiseman, the host of The Score. You can catch that every Saturday morning here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio at 9 a.m. And Jalen Gilkey, he is a reporter for WFMY News 2 here in the Triad. Fellas, what's going on? What's up? What's up, fellas? How we doing today? How we doing, Des? Good, man. Excited. I finally got a chance to sit down and watch some basketball the other night. Watch my man LeBron and AD put it on the Suns. Uh, I watched a little bit of uh, Knicks Hawks on Sunday, so I'm getting a little taste back of uh, not only basketball again, but actually having fans in the stands. I think we took it for granted watching basketball this the past like eight months with no fans in the arena and and the garden, the garden. The oh night man, rocket! Yeah, man. fourteen thousand people in Madison That I mean, you know, it's funny. I always used to joke about it, but I think it actually makes a lot of sense. The playoffs just hit different when the Knicks are in it. Like, regardless if you like them or not. Like yeah. just something about Madison Square Garden being loud. Look, I mean, yeah, it's the same thing. I know both of you aren't big hockey guys. It's the same thing with the Rangers. A, a Stanley Cup playoff game hits different, regardless. But when the Rangers when the or the Rangers. Knicks or the Yankees, when a New York team in general is in the playoffs, there's a certain level of of crowd participation and intensity that the crowd brings that you don't get. In the regular season, I'm gonna counter real quick because I'm a, yeah, right. you know, I'm, I'm I'm a little sneaky undercover hockey guy, and I'm gonna let you know. Oh the, hey, the, the environment <laughs> at the enterprise, I like it. The, the enterprise uh, center in St. Louis, when my St. Louis Blues are in the postseason, I'm telling you, ain't nothing like it. Hey, hey we got a fellow Blues fan. I, know, we I like it. Wow, there we, so we, we should have linked y'all up a long time ago. Then, so yeah, let's go. Right. On. How are we fun. just now finding out about this? Hold on a second. Here. I don't want to talk about that because you know we, no, did, we, did, we didn't have hey, a great show on this. Show. We're, we're still recovering. Okay, it's gonna take it's, some time. It's all good. It's fine. Thanks don't talk fine. about it. Let's exactly. do. Let's Move do. On. Let's do some buy or sell NBA playoffs here. And I want to start off with a team that got a lot of. Uh, flowers early on last year when they got assembled and they have not amounted to squat so far and that's the los angeles clippers buy or sell guys super disappointment if they lose this series to the mavs they're currently down 0-2 they got luka Doncic yelling in pat beverly's face uh just all kinds of just stuff going on here that the clippers just don't look right they haven't really looked right at all um buy or sell this being a super disappointment if they lose the series then let's start off with you Jalen. okay i'm gonna definitely say uh, well, I'm definitely going to buy that it's a super disappointment if they lose this series. 
I, I, I'm personally probably going to sell the Clippers in this series as well. I just don't see the intensity. I don't see the passion. Uh, and it looks like Luka Doncic has their heart in his hand. Mm-hmm. So uh, <laughs> I don't think that's something that Paul, Kawhi, and Pat will be able to recover from. And also another key piece that most people haven't really touched on that they're missing from last year, really, too, Montrez Harrell, who was a big energy guy for them, brought a lot of toughness and a lot of just just grit to that second team missing this year, as well as superstar, and some some would say my big brother, Lou Williams. <laughs> he brings that veteran presence, that calm, that calming presence to he brought it to that team and they just don't they like like you were saying that they haven't looked right pretty much all year they something's something's wrong like and we may never find out because i think a lot of it i think a lot of it's going to end up being with Kawhi. and the one story that we have not been talking about is Kawhi is going to lead this list of free agents uh when the season is over like mm-hmm. people i guess just assume that he would just resign because paul because paul uh george resigned for like a four-year max deal or whatever last year like he went ahead and grabbed his money Kawhi said nah bro i'm gonna hold off and yeah. see what happens and good I, for him because now i don't think he'll be back no be I'll, bet, I'll bet my life savings he won't be back they made such a big deal about him going home in la and all this stuff. I mean, he's from san diego but you know the clippers used to be in san diego and all that good stuff and they're building a new arena they got steve ballmer's the owner and all this stuff but you know i lost a lot of respect for the clippers when it looked like they were tanking at the end of the year to avoid a seventh seed, uh, or no, who was it they were trying to avoid? The Lakers. The Lakers, yeah, they were trying to avoid the Lakers. So, and like, you know, it's crazy, Dave. Remember last time I said we were on here, I was like, because the Lakers were on like a five-six game slide, and I was like, I think they're tanking to avoid the Clippers in the first round match. I think it was a little mutual feeling. Neither team probably won the second round match with them. But, See, I don't know. I, I don't think the Lakers cared. Like, I don't think the Lakers care if the Clippers were there or not. But it felt like the Clippers intentionally did not yeah. want any parts of the Lakers for some reason. And I'm like, now's the time. If uh, if you're gonna if you're gonna take the Lakers down, now would be the time to try to do it while they're a little banged up. Absolutely uh, right, Brett. What, what do you? What's your thoughts on the Los Angeles Clippers experiment here that has kind of fallen apart a little bit as they're down uh, 0-2 to the the Luka Doncic uh, uh, Mavs right now? Here's the thing for me. You call it an experiment, and it is that. It's basically they it's they threw a bunch of superstars at the wall and saw what stuck. That's that's just plain and simple what it is in my book. Luka Doncic, as as you said, Jalen, he's got their heart in his hands. He like the, the Mavericks have them on the brink right now. Oh yeah. Yeah, Luca. Luca. I don't know if you guys heard what he said last night. He he said those guys tanked to get us the the seed that they got so they could play us because they thought that we, you know, were an easy easy money. Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's what I'm confused about because their first round matchup in the bubble last year went to the wire. If so Porzingis hadn't got hurt, I think exactly. they would have won that exactly. series last year. Yeah. They said, oh, it's going to be easy money this year. Well, how is this year any different than the bubble last year? You know the thing that bothers me, too, about the Clippers? And I think Kendrick Perkins said it uh, today. Uh, it might have been uh, Wednesday on one of the shows he was on on ESPN. The Clippers are front runners. Like, I, I have the image in my head of, like, it's like Paul George uh, and a couple of other ones. Something had happened. I think one of them dunked on one of the Mavs or something on the baseline. And there's an image of all three of them like yelling at the Maverick kid that's like on the ground or whatever. Uh, it's stuff like that. Like the Clippers were up in that that part of the game, but then they didn't finish the game. 
And like, I don't know you what know happened what, to You Kawhi know what Leonard that kind of stuff quarter. does, though. Oh, I'm sure it pisses lights off the Lights a fire on the other bench. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it pisses them off to see them treating them as if they're not supposed to be there, too. To be honest, I'd probably take the Mavericks roster over the Clippers roster right now. And I don't know what the hell is going on with Kawhi Leonard. He had a great game, uh, game two. Uh, I think he scored more points in the first half than he had ever scored or something crazy like that. And they still lost. So, you know, Kawhi is sitting here watching all this. You know how he is. He's quiet. He's very pensive. He's never going to say something that's a soundbite worthy type thing. Uh, but you know, he's looking at all this and just thinking, I wonder what I would look like uh, wearing a Knicks uniform next year or Miami, who Jimmy Butler apparently was super, super uh, heavy on Kawhi. We're trying to recruit him over to Miami before he chose the Clippers uh, last year. Uh, I could see Kawhi bouncing and going to Miami. Like, I could easily see that going down. They've got the, the cap space for it. Pat Riley's still, you know, running everything. Uh, Eric Sprolstra is a, 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 a title-winning coach. You got Jimmy Butler. You got pieces there, and they're probably better off in the long run than what the Clippers are going to be. Uh, it's going to be funny if all this turns into the Clippers ended up with Paul George for you know like three for everything years. They had to give up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all the stuff, all the draft picks, everything they give up. The only thing they're going to get out of it is like six years of Paul George, like at the end of his career. So um, we'll keep an eye on the Clippers and see how they do. Uh, buy or sell here with Jalen Gilkey from WFMY News Two and the scores Brett Wiseman. Let's talk about the Milwaukee Bucks. Buy or sell, guys? Legit threat to make the NBA Finals after uh, these first two games. They are up two zero in their series currently, and they're playing tonight as well. Uh, it's tough for me to put a lot of stock in them. And, and we talked about it on my show a lot because I, I still don't feel like I've seen enough from them. I didn't see enough in the regular season and I haven't really seen enough until the other night to really put enough stock in them that they can make the kind of run that I think they're capable of. So I'm going to buy that they're contenders I'm not going to buy the fact that they're going to come out of the East. Because what they showed the other night was they have a very balanced scoring attack and they are elite defensively. If you're in Miami's case and Dwayne Dedman is your leading scorer midway through the third quarter, you're done. Yeah. Like, you're, you're toast. Barbecue chicken. Like, that's not going to be good enough. Uh... You, you, are cooked, <laughs> you are cooked, buttered, sautéed, dead to rights. Okay, move on. Game three. Let's go. Jalen, your thoughts on the uh, on the Bucks? Do you think uh, buy or sell on the Bucks from what you've seen so far, first round? Oh, I think your mic's muted. I don't know if I can. I can't do that. <laughs> no, I don't think you have that ability. Jalen, can you can you yeah, unmute? No, my fault, buddy. I don't you know good. what happened there. I'm sorry. <laughs> you good? You know, it's crazy because I've been talking and like no one was like. Acknowledging anything I was saying, so I was like, <laughs> I was like "Okay." <laughs> but anyway, so, what's yeah. up? What's up with the Bucks, man? What you think? Uh, buy yeah. or sell the Bucks being a legit threat to make the NBA uh, Finals out of the East? Yeah, guys, I'm I'm a I'm a basketball purist. I I love the main fundamentals of basketball: dribble, shoot, pass, defend. And I feel like if your best player can't shoot. Struggles yeah. from the perimeter, <laughs> struggles from the free throw line. I don't see how there's any way in the world you can beat a team with possibly the greatest scorer of all time, the most unique player of all time in James Harden, and possibly the player with the best handle and finishing ability that we've ever seen from a guard. So I, I don't see 
I, I, there's no way they can get past the Brooklyn Nets unless they scored what well, they scored 71 points in the first half last yeah year, the 76 half. something crazy 76 yeah. in the first half <laughs> like unless you're doing that every night I still don't think they can beat the Nets even if they score 76 points per half let's just put it like that <laughs> we're going to talk about the Nets we're going we're going to get to the Nets here um cuz I was super uh unconvinced that the Nets were going to be able to do it then I sat down and watched that entire second half uh, against Boston, Boston is Boston's in a bad spot right They're now. Depleted, man. They're, <laughs> They're in a They're really bad, bad spot. It's gonna be like this every game. I think they, there's there's nothing they can do. There's and literally do nothing. Be- they can I do. do believe Tatum's out. So. Oh yeah, I, I, yeah. Him not coming back from an eye poke makes me wonder if he's gonna be available uh, tonight. So we'll uh, keep an eye on that too. Uh, buy or sell with Jalen Gilkey, Brett Wiseman here, NBA playoff edition on franchise players. Uh, speaking of banged up, the Phoenix Suns buy or sell? Can they beat the Lakers with a banged up Chris Paul? I want to know why we can't get a 100% healthy Chris Paul throughout the playoffs. Every year. Every year. year. And it's always a different body part, too. It's, it's, never, it's, never, it's never the same anything. thing. Like, you know, nothing that goes together. It's bad, too, because I feel like I've met Chris Paul before. He's a good guy. He comes back to the community. He's actually taking classes at Winston State right now. Um, and I feel like I feel like through luck – well, a lack of luck and injuries, it's going to prevent him from being properly ranked amongst the greatest of all time. Like well, uh, I would say, I would I would agree with that as well, especially like post career. Yeah, like when, when, when we're old, we're going to be those guys. Like man, just how the old heads was talking about Oscar Robinson. Yeah, yeah, like, y'all don't know. That's, that's exactly how we're going to be. Y'all and and, and even with that, and even that, Oscar had at least a ring. You know what I mean? Like Chris has never even been to a conference final, so it's yeah, like. Okay. I, I felt like this might have been his best shot, but then the Lakers winning that play-in game, I was just like, dang, because now they got to play the Lakers. I don't care what seed the Lakers have beside them, it, and I don't care what they flipped on the roster. Mm-hmm. If you've got, I've always said in NBA, the NBA is really the only sport like this. If you've got one guy that's a top ten NBA player that year, you're probably going to sniff the semifinals of the conference at least. At if least. you've got two guys on your team that are top ten you're a pretty good bet to make the conference finals. Uh, and if you got three, you're probably, you might as well just pencil your name into the NBA finals. Like, so the exactly. nets, the nets, I'm kind of looking at them like, okay, just law of averages. Pen- it's probably going to get there. Yeah. Go ahead and put the nets in there. But I've always said too, if you've got two of the top five players in the league, you can do the same thing and pencil yourself in the finals. And I feel like that's what the Lakers have. They've got LeBron and Anthony Davis. Now it's up for debate where they are in that top five right now. But I still would say they're they're in the top five for this season of NBA players in the league. And the Suns just had a bad draw. They end up getting the Lakers. The Lakers were favored in game one, the seventh seed on the road at Phoenix, uh, which Phoenix did win. The Lakers come out stronger game two. Um, Anthony Davis, I like it better when Anthony Davis plays like the Anthony Davis in game two, where he's not shooting fadeaway jumpers. He's not shooting a bunch of threes that are short. Like in game two, AD, we get the ball and drive towards the paint. Like go towards the basket. Um, and sometimes I, I hear this all the time. Who would you rather have? Would you rather have Giannis or would you rather have Anthony Davis? Well, I know Giannis is going to get me more than one rebound a half. Yeah. I tell but, he you can't that. but he can't <laughs> but he shoot. shoot. So <laughs> he can't shoot. He can't shoot. I understand that. And it, I just, that's the one thing about AD that really just blows my mind. You're seven feet. I understand yeah. they moved you to the four and you're more comfortable playing the four. You don't always play the five. But how do you have the least amount of rebounds and you've got the most minutes played on the whole team? Yeah, that didn't make any sense like, make, at all. But, but see, this is a this is a trend. Like this is something that happened last year as well. 
See, and that's the thing I don't really – I don't like some of the pieces that the Lakers brought in, like Andre Drummond. Uh, that, that was not uh, a good thing. Yeah, I mean, and they got him on the cheap, really, too. And I don't even think he'll be back next year. I think he's going to no. hit the market. But uh, he played better in game two. Uh, Dennis Schroeder played better in game two. They all played better in game two. Mm-hmm. And they did what they had to do. They got the they got the split. They, you know, Now they got home court advantage. That's all they needed to do. So the Lakers are in the driver's seat there. Um, I, what are your thoughts, Brett, on – uh, the Suns and Chris Paul's legacy here is they're down. Well, now they're tied one, one in this series, but by all, by all accounts, it kind of feels like this might be a wrap here soon. I, I don't know. I see this thing going at least six games and, and here's why this is a Suns team that they got it a tough draw and the NBA got what they wanted out of it. What's a joke in the play in tournament, which was, Lakers Warriors. I like that game. I, I gotta that admit, a, that was a great game. It was great a great game. game. Yeah, the it was concept a great game. of the the concept of the play in tournament is an absolute joke. I don't know. I don't. Let's wait. Let's stop right there because I I was a little skeptical of it at first until I started watching it, and I kind of see your point, Brett. Because other than Lakers Warriors and the Hornets Indiana game, which was just a cluster, <laughs> like that. Can we that, not? Talk Hornets should have just not even got on the plane. No. I don't think they did get on the plane to be honest. Like I think no, that was their kids. It, it, they sent their, up there. Their souls were left behind. <laughs> the only things that went to Indiana were just lifeless carcasses. <laughs> but other than that, I didn't pay attention to like the Wizards and the Celtics and the other ones in the East that were like that. I only cared about the Lakers Warriors because of Steph and 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 LeBron. You're not going to get that every year. You know what yes, I mean? You're not going to you're not, you're not yeah. get LeBron versus Steph in a play-in game to. No, it's not going to happen every year, but on the off chance it does, yeah, you got what you were looking for. Yeah, I got what I was looking for. You'll get more Pacers, you'll get more Pacers, uh, Hornets than you will Steph and And that's my fear because I I mean, those games really only appeal to those fan bases. Like, no one or a diehard NBA junkie is going to sit up and watch Indiana and and Boston. (laughs) Yeah, sit there at 10 o'clock and watch. the Pelicans try to get into the playoffs from J- the, the James Wilson feed. would stay up until 1.30 in the morning to watch Australian Basketball League playoff see, action. I, hey, that's a trap prospect. I got to yeah, see not, this guy. I'm not I'm not that invested. I can't do that. Um, buy or sell NBA playoffs edition with uh, Jalen Gilkey from WFMY News 2 and Brett Wiseman from The Score right here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio. Uh, and, of course, I can't leave the Nets out. Uh, I did watch the Nets play uh, the other night. Against a banged up Boston Celtic team, like I mean, it literally it looks like a, uh, I don't know, yeah, man. <laughs> I don't know. What Robert, Wo- right Robert Williams in the Boston Celtics. Yeah, yeah. It's like I'm seeing people playing. I'm just like I'm Who sitting here you? waiting. They've, I'm, they've thrown I'm out waiting. the B team at this point. Like they li- threw out the B team. I found myself the last five minutes of uh, game two praying that Brad Stevens would put Taco Fall in the game. That like yeah. that's where we were. It where been I was more entertaining. Like, and I think he didn't want to do it out of spite because he knew if he did it on the road, the road team, the road crowd would cheer. So he just didn't put him in. He Everybody knew it would be a played. gimmick above everything else. <laughs> yeah, everyone so else just, played. At this point, he's just pulling guys off the street like the Hornets <laughs> did with Kemba. Yeah, pretty much. Except at this point, it wasn't because you know the Hornets had everybody injured. It was because the Hornets just chose not to go get anybody else. But so, know. so with the Nets, the Brooklyn Nets here, uh, their big three: Kevin Durant, uh, James Harden, Kyrie Irving. Man, Kyrie was cooking the other night with you were talking about the handles or whatever. I've always kind of put him right there, but I wasn't quite sure. I've always had either him or Isaiah Thomas as like the best handles I've seen in the NBA. Because Isaiah, Isaiah could put it on you. And I hated that dude. Like I couldn't stand Isaiah, but I will definitely give him his props in terms of being a ball handler. So, but uh Kyrie you know, my, is right there, if not above. Absolutely. And so it's crazy. My dad had always been telling me about this guy, you know, because my basketball 
viewership only goes back to like 2000 at this point. Yeah. So my dad always used to tell me about this guy, Rod Strickland, man. He was like, oh, man, Rod Strickland. Yes. He said Rod Strickland got the best handle. Yeah. Ever. And so when Kyrie was coming out, you know, they got to the draft process and they would start talking about his relationship and how that's his godfather. And they're like his dad's best friend. And my dad, when my dad found that out, he said, oh, this kid here. He said he's going to be possibly the best point guard you've ever seen just because of that relationship. And it's, I mean, he's definitely one of the most entertaining point guards that has ever touched the basketball. Yeah, if he wasn't so damn quirky, I'd probably enjoy him more. (laughs) You know what I mean? If he just didn't say the wrong thing at the wrong time or just, you know, take a week off in the middle of February. (laughs) At least he didn't pull a Dennis Rodman and go to Las Vegas and, you know, do strip clubs in the middle of the playoffs. Actually, looking back on it, I kind of respect Dennis a lot for that. Like Dennis, Dennis Rodman. Joined the NWO. Dennis Dennis Rodman joined the New World Order and hit Diamond Dallas Page in the back with a chair in between games four and five of the NBA Finals and got got fined for it, but got paid more because he got paid $50,000 from WCW to show up for that one appearance. His fine was like $5,000. So, like, Jordan's asking, like, how much did you make for uh, the appearance? And he tells him, he's like, shh. Okay. <laughs> but then, and then the next game, Robin comes out with like 18 rebounds and it's like the player of the game uh, for that NBA final against Carmelone. So it's like, I, I can respect that, but Kyrie does like off the wall stuff. Like the wall, like the world is flat. Like yeah, things that, like that. And it's like, it throws me off. The world is flat. I'm going to tell Nike to put an Illuminati on the back heel of my shoe because yeah, I think it weird, looks cool. Weirdo stuff. Like he just needs to just not Burning say sage in pregame warmups. Look, I'm all for like cleansing your aura or whatever, but like TD Garden has been through enough vaporized substances considering <laughs> Bruins fans call that place home 80 it's yeah, oh my you know, gosh not yeah. a, not a some nights of, out of the year not a fan <laughs> of the Bruins <laughs> now last one here and it's with the Nets so the Nets be the overall favorite to win it all by ourselves. uh I'm gonna say by just because I don't think I feel like even though LeBron's got a little bit more help with AD than he did ever against the Warriors I just still don't think he'll be able to overcome these three, this three-headed monster, and then they're so deep. Like, yeah, they, got they are. Shamit, they got Jeff Green. They got Yo, Cla- I yeah, love like it, it's not Griffin. just a big. It's Blake not Griffin. just a big three. Blake Griffin played Blake, it like his hair was on fire. The Blake other Griffin night. was dunking on everybody the other night. Yeah, a couple man. Of times. Joe Harris, like, couldn't miss. Joe, Joe Harris is one of my favorite players in the league. Like I said, I'm a basketball. I love that purist. dude, man. I love. I'm him. a basketball purist. Wow. He can shoot the ball. Does this call me Simi Yuki for no reason, baby. I, I, I like you, Jalen, yeah. because there's there's very few guys out there that are like a Kyle Corver, you know. Yeah. Uh, who's the guy? Oh, frick. Ooh. Jason Capono kind of guy. Yeah. yeah. That, that's just like a pure shooter. Nothing more, nothing less. Like a JJ that's what Redick. Jo- yeah, Pages that's Story what jo- Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Oh, wow. You, Pages, there you go. But, like, <laughs> hey, I'm telling you, a shooter, I saw Pedro Storyakovich win the uh, three-point contest in Atlanta. Goodness gracious, man! Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah he was a problem. Man, Andre Kirilenko, like guys like that, AK forty seven that come up big in the playoffs like this. I love to yeah. see that. But here's the thing about Joe Harris and how he pairs with the rest of that bench. That bench isn't just just a random bunch of guys that's thrown behind three superstars. Mm-hmm. That is a coldly, calculatedly assumed bench core. Yeah, shout that, out to Sam Marks. Mm-hmm. That any one of those guys could win six man of the year any year. Absolutely. If they weren't playing behind the three guys they're playing behind, they'd be starting somewhere else. Absolutely. Who's a who's a bigger threat to the Nets, Philly or the Bucks? 
Um, I the guess Bucks. or I either. I, I, I don't. Tr- either. I don't trust. I don't trust Philly. Yeah, I'm just not a. I'm not a super Ben Simmons guy, man. Uh, yeah, I, I've never really been. I've always the most overrated like human being on the planet. I mean, he was, was the number one overall pick in the draft. He's six ten, but he can't shoot. Like he doesn't even yeah, look like he tries. Let's see, he can't no, shoot. He even, can't dribble. Even, he, he can't, can't stay uh, he healthy. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't shoot. Uh, yeah, that's what it is. He, it, Joel like, Embiid shoots even, more threes. I'm gonna say we don't even know if he can shoot. He doesn't like. It and that's me. my that's my problem. It's like, sir, like you have to try. Like you can't <laughs> fix it if you <laughs> don't try. You're the point guard. Like I mean, like, literally, on, you you're standing out there. Like do something. You're six ten. You unbelievably athletic. You play great defense. You can get to the cup whenever you want to. But you also have. A seven footer that needs that paint, yeah. So it's to it, operate. So it's it, like you y'all are just y'all bump it, the heads. It almost pushes him beat outside because that's the thing. There's nothing. And people that know me know this very well. There's nothing that drives me more crazier than seeing a seven foot Joel Embiid standing at the top of the key behind the three point line, just watching the play develop. Yeah, it's not get your butt down in the paint, man. Like, what are you doing? Turn your back around. And post because somebody up. There's only five centers in the NBA. Exactly. And you're 280, my boy. So yeah, like, man. You're supposed to be like Shaq. You're not supposed. You're not Kevin Garnett. Stop. Highly, I was highly impressed with Joel Embiid's performance this season. I would have had an MVP too. if he wouldn't yeah. miss as many games. Yeah, yeah. I'm same here. I'm fine with uh, the Joker getting it. Well, they haven't announced it yet, but I'm fine with him getting it. Everyone kind of assumes it's him. Um, although I was very happy to see Steph uh, in that top three because I felt like he actually deserved it. Oh, but, absolutely. Because, uh, I mean, if it wasn't for Steph, them boys would have – they were a 15 win team without that's stuff. what i'm saying easy. <laughs> yeah they're easy like draymond they can't would, score <laughs> they would have been with the knicks what we thought the knicks were going to be this year look and we got to cut it right here but uh we were me rod funderburg and brandon blakeney were talking about this at the beginning of the week i think that uh well from where well, they've already said it that lebron's trying to recruit steph to come to la Oh Lord, have mercy! Because Steph's contract's up, uh, he he can renew for another four years at another super max. Steph will be the first NBA player in history to get uh, eligible for two two hundred million dollar contracts back to back. Come gonna on, make, man! He's gonna make four hundred million dollars in and eight years. And then he got two hundred million from Under Armour. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he, on, he you know him and Aisha got a house in Los Angeles somewhere. So you, the thought oh, has yeah. got to have crossed their mind sitting in the kitchen one day, like, what would it be like we went over to L.A. And, and let play, play with Braun. Play with Braun for a and year. AD, AD, go under, AD, oh my AD ain't even thirty years old. And then LeBron will probably retire at the end of this uh, this extension he just signed. That's twenty twenty three, and they would leave the team to Steph and AD. Like I mean, people are telling me, oh, they don't got the cap room to do it. This is the LA Lakers, dog. They can LA do whatever Lakers. they want. <laughs> they'll make the money. Like absolutely, the, the print, print press it. is down they'll in the basement. It. Yeah, they'll print it out. Come on in here. So I, I'm keeping an eye on that because Steph and Kawhi, I think, are going to be the two biggest stories that nobody's talking about that we'll be keeping an eye on this summer. Uh, great stuff, guys. Jalen Gilkey from WFMY News, too. You can follow him on Twitter at Silky Gilkey. Brett Wiseman, the host of The Score with Brett Wiseman. You can follow him on Twitter at Broadcast Brett. Appreciate you guys for stopping by and chopping up a little NBA playoffs with me. Hey, man, it was a pleasure as always, Desmond. And nice to meet you, Brett. Had a great time. Always good to be with you, Des. Coming up, more for franchise players here on Tobacco Road, sportsradio.com.